You are listening to Courageous Leadership, the podcast with me, Diana Osagi, the author of the book, Courageous Leadership. This is the place where inspirational leaders and everyday heroes share their inside stories of leadership. Today's episode features a guest sharing their mistakes, mishaps and triumphs. Let's dive in. Guys, once again, you know I get excited when I've got a new guest on our podcast. I'm going to let her introduce herself and say what she does for a living. Hi, I'm Rachel Lofthouse and I am a professor of teacher education at the Carnegie School of Education at Leeds Beckett University. Oh, fantastic. It is good to have you on the show. So we do this one. We talk about the land of numpty, where leaders visit do something strange, weird, make a mistake, then come back to the land of normality. Sometimes we build a villa on the land of Numpty. We move in for a bit, you know, and it could get quite deep. But let's talk about a mistake, a mishap or a triumph. Where would you like to start? I'm happy to start with the mistake. Let's get it over. Let's get it over. <laughs> okay. So it's interesting. I, I thought quite long and hard about this, and it took me back about... I don't know, 20 years, probably about 20 years. And I'd been a PGCE tutor uh, for a secondary subject in a different university for a, for a few years, probably about three years. Prior to that, I'd been a secondary teacher and head of department. And the role of programme director became vacant. So this was for a role to direct across all of the secondary PGCE subjects. And it wasn't a huge course, I think there were seven or eight subjects at the time, um, but it was not a job that you could apply for. It wasn't advertised. It was a job that was agreed amongst the team. And in that respect, you weren't expected to do it forever, but it was a contribution that you would make for a time. And you know the, the proposition would be that it would be something you could add to your CV so that when you were next thinking of applying for a promoted post, if you wanted to, you could use that as, as an example. But more than that, it was just a, a job that you might be interested in doing. So, I, and I vividly remember the meeting at which it was discussed. I cannot remember whether we knew the discussion was coming or whether it had been just emerging from the meeting. But I remember the room and I remember the people who were there. There were about eight, eight of us, I would think. And it became apparent that quite quickly we were going to need to decide who would be the new programme director. And everybody looked at each other. And one of my colleagues said, oh, maybe Rachel would be interested. And I thought, yeah, actually, I think I would, I would be interested. So I said, yeah, actually, you bear, bear me in mind. I'd like to be considered. I think it's a job that I, I would like to do eventually. So now would be a good time and that I'm interested in it. And these were people who knew me and these were people who knew my work. And a little bit of a murmur of, well, that's, that's interesting, maybe. And then quite quickly, two more senior members of the team, both male, but that may be a coincidence, just said, no, she's not. She's too young. She's not ready. She's what, too right there to your face. Yeah. And they weren't. They said it nicely. They didn't say. They sort of said, "We, we don't want to be rude, but we but. think she's too young." And I think I would have been about thirty-four. 
So I may have been the youngest member of the team. I may have been, I can't remember, but I wasn't young. And there was a little bit more chat about who else might do it. And I said, genuinely, I'm interested. But when it came to it, the decision that I was too young held. And actually one of these other colleagues took the job. So that was, if you like, it wasn't a leadership mistake, but it was Mm -hmm. about that journey into leadership. Yes. And it wasn't my mistake. I mean, you could say, well, I was mistaken in offering to do it because I was too ahead of myself. But I think what I realise now is that my mistake was not standing up for myself. Yes. Not actually saying, can we just test this theory out that I'm too young? Like, how valid is that? Why does that matter? Can we talk about other criteria? Can you listen to why I'd like to do this? And I wish at that point I'd said something else other than, well, obviously, it's got to be the decision of the whole team. And if the decision is that this other chap gets it, then he gets it. One of the reasons I wish I'd said something else is because I think in that moment, it reaffirmed that typical kind of imposter syndrome that we often Yes. And I don't think I've ever shared that. I don't suppose I ever will. But I think it, it strengthened it for a while. And I think that was that's always a problem. I think that it was a mistake not to stand up for myself because it genuinely was a job I really could have done well and wanted to do at a time when there was lots of interesting capacity in that role to shape and develop the programme. We were a little bit less hindered by DfE equivalent constraints. It wasn't DfE at the time. We were less hindered by those. And I also think it was a mistake because it would have saved quite a lot of hassle down the line because within two years, possibly less, I had become the programme leader, director anyway. Wow. The series of other situations and events it became clear that I was the suitable candidate and I was asked in a bit of a flurry at a bit of a crisis point to take it on and did you say then well am I old enough now no I didn't I just said of course that's fine let's crack on I mean it was one of those moments where there were lots of things that had to be dealt with It was reassuring at that point that colleagues had no doubt I could do it. Yes. Although there's that moment where you wonder, is it that they have no doubt or is it they're all stepping away? (laughs) (laughs) I did trust my colleagues. And I would say that it was the best job I've ever done. Being programme director for that PGC course was just the most rewarding, most satisfying, most creative job I've ever done. The students were fantastic. The partnership schools were great. The colleagues I worked with, we had just a wonderful team. And so I kind of regret not having stepped up earlier because I could have had several more years or a couple of more in doing it. But I, I think my regret is that notion of letting other people decide your future and your fate when actually you're more than capable of standing up for yourself and imagining yourself in a role that other people maybe can't genuinely imagine you in yet or uh, yeah just finding the words to say actually can we think about this before we dismiss the idea and I should have done that earlier I I love that sentence can we think about this can before we dismiss the theory can we test it out 
I, I really like those sentences that just perhaps will help a leader who's facing something like that. You know, well, can we discuss the fact that being 34 and being 36 won't make a difference actually, but I bring these assets I think you'd be interested in? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting. So, I, I it's, it's, so it is to do with, as a leader, giving people space, perhaps not being reactive, I guess, because, oh, I mean, it's odd because the whole point was we needed a new leader. But so it was about leadership. It was about it was about a team, but it was also with although in a way it was a very flat structure without a leader. There was clearly also quite a lot of hierarchy within the structure, even though it was flat. There were people who'd done the job for 10 or 20 years. There were people in their 50s or so, you know, it, it didn't, it wasn't neutral. There was still a power. There was still a power structure. How interesting. Thank you for sharing. A mishap perhaps or a triumph? Okay, mishap. So this this is more recent. Um, and again, it's it's one of those things where you start off on something and it feels like it's going to be perfect, although you're worried about it, and then quite quickly stuff happens. Good news is on this occasion, it turned itself round again. But there was a moment where you just thought, goodness me, what on earth else can go wrong? So I'll explain the context. It was after I'd joined Leeds Beckett University and we'd established Collective Ed, which is a research and practice centre for coaching, mentoring, professional learning. And it was our first national conference. And it was quite a big deal because we'd, you know, you have to pay prior to pandemic we had to pay out for the venue we had to work out what we should charge for attendance we had to work out who our audience was most likely to be we had to decide what the content would be we had to create a conference which was true to our values so there was lots of discussion very few keynotes lots of opportunity for networking and conversation about how those working in and with schools can support colleagues to work well in and with schools. So including through coaching and mentoring. So there was all the anxiety that we felt myself and the, and the team, small team of putting this event on, we, but we managed to, we made the decision to go to Birmingham rather than Leeds. So it didn't look like it was just a local event. We chose a hotel right next to the train station to enable people to get there promptly always in the back of your mind wondering whether the trains might go awry on that occasion but you know some did so we knew some people were delayed but most people got there on time and the worry about hosting something in mid-July even if you sell tickets will people actually come whether something else will have taxed or you know they're senior people most of them in school so will something else have captured their time that day anyway to cut a long story short as the director of the centre I was opening the conference you know, a lot of people arrived in the last five minutes, so we were really glad to see the room full, people were finding somewhere to sit. We had the majority of our contributors, there were a couple that had sent messages to say they were delayed, but we had about 18 contributors, so we kind of needed to know they were there. Our timing for the day was very tight, but we started on time, and I was just saying welcome and how excited we were about the whole thing, and the fire alarm went off. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I ha the first thought was, oh no, I haven't told anybody what the routine is for a fire drill. And that was my first job and I've forgotten to. And we're in the middle of a conferencing hotel 
where there's no exit from the room out. You have to wind your way through the hotel to get out. But there was also that sense of, oh, this isn't real. So we just yeah. said, let's just ignore it for a minute. And so we just, and it was going on. And then, but within 30 seconds, the um, members of staff from the hotel did come in to the room and said, no, this is not a false alarm. It's not a drill, it's a fire. <gasps> so we need to go. And they got us out, so it was fine. So we ended up with about a hundred people on um, a pedestrian shopping street in the middle of Birmingham with the fire alarm raging around us with fire engines turning up. So there was no sense of this is going to be over quickly. Oh no. And then they said, oh, we've worked out where the fire is. It's been started in Starbucks. It's in the same building that it's an old building routinely evacuate the whole building. So we're sorry, you can't go back. We, even though we know the fire's over there until it's fully put out and everywhere's checked, you're not going back. So they kind of said the hotel and the fire uh, brigade kind of says probably 45 minutes to an hour, we think. So we kind of, uh, I was talking to Christian van Nieuwberg, who was co-hosting the conference with me. And we were like, well, what do we do? Because clearly we couldn't hold the conference on the street. No. Kind of thought, well, maybe we should just say to people, come back in an hour because we're likely to be stuck out here. And what, and as we were kind of discussing this amongst ourselves, we turned round to kind of just look at all of our delegates. And we realized that absolutely everybody was in full conversation with one or two or three other people. The conference conversation, even though we hadn't started the day effectively, had essentially already begun. They were talk, they were doing selfies of each other, they were talking about coaching, they were, talking about, they were making friends, nobody went off shopping, everybody was just there having, and it was sunny, so it was fine. And, uh, and then we just turned back and looked around and just thought, well, this is fantastic. This is fine. This is how the, this is the day that we'll remember. And we also realized that we were really lucky because we weren't standing there in those hair foils. You know, if you're having your hair dyed, <laughs> as well as the conference and Starbucks and two or three other shops, a hairdressers and a beauty spa had had to evacuate. And there were people mid, you know, <laughs> mid procedure. <laughs> and I'm looking at these poor women with their hair in force thinking, what color is your hair going to be if you stand out here? And then I just thought, this is fine. We're just <laughs> So eventually, and it was about an hour, nearly an hour, we got everybody back in. And we knew that we could get on with the day. It was fine. But that first thing that I had to do was work out how on earth we rescheduled the whole day, having lost an hour, when it was already really tight. And knowing that the majority of people were on a train and they'd have booked cheap tickets to get you know they could so we had to commit to finishing on time and then start to kind of work out how to schedule and we did it but I did give the wrong information at one point and had to re kind of read yeah. that information part way through about timing but by then everybody had forgiven us you know <laughs> so it was it was a it wasn't a mishap that we could have predicted or avoided and actually it was fully recoverable and it was a very, but it was just one of those things, again, when you think you're in control, you've got something it. Something happens. Something will happen. And I mean, I'm eternally grateful. And people point this out to me all the time. I generally work with adults. You know, I didn't have 112 year olds on the street. That would have been a much harder job. Yes. But I did have 100 adults with purses and wallets and the capacity to go shopping. On yes. The and nobody allowed to tell them not to. 
<laughs> and I was thinking what I would have done. I would have been eyeing up the ball ring centre in Birmingham and would have nipped off. <laughs> so I'd be back in a minute and I would think of. But I've just got this image in my head now of a woman anyway? who's come out with green hair or something because <laughs> it was going to be blonde an hour later. An hour later. I know. I know. <laughs> but that, that, was my, that was my mishap. Oh, that's a brilliant mishap. That's one of the best we've had. I love it. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Go on. Tell us about a time when Rachel Lofthouse smashed it. It was a triumph. Okay. Well, it's a, it's a legacy triumph. There was certainly nothing on the day where you thought, well, this is a moment and, you know, how proud of I, am I of myself? It was, so it, it, so the day started with, it was a very small meeting of colleagues, internal and external, um, associated with Collective Ed. And the idea was that at this meeting, we were going to evolve some models of practice for Collective Ed associates and think, think a little bit strategically about you know, how people would work in partnership with us. So we had, a, you know, had an agenda. We had really nice people there, probably only four or five of us. And I, I was kind of in the mode. I knew what we were going to be doing. And as I, I, I you often walk into the department and in the last few hundred yards of walking into the department, I had a moment of thinking, what I need in collective ed is a network of fellows. And it may have been because of chartered college fellows. It may have been that notion of, you know, knowing that there are networks of people who associate themselves with an organization and are given an, a way of associating themselves. But it suddenly occurred to me that I was walking to a meeting where this idea had popped into my head and literally I'd never thought of it before, but that the moment that I could first introduced the idea was at this meeting even though it wasn't on the agenda and just float it and I knew that the people I was going to meet were good people to float it with so I just remember walking in everybody was getting a coffee and just saying we're going to be talking about the work of collective ed associates but do you mind if I just take five minutes of your time to share an idea that popped into my head as I walked into the room or into the university. So I did, I shared this absolutely kind of minimal idea, just this notion that we could have a group of people who could be called fellows, they'd have to apply, but it would be based on having made a contribution. So I, as I was talking, I was thinking about what I meant. And then as I was talking, the people in the room were beginning to say, that sounds interesting. Yeah, we quite like that idea. It would need a bit of thinking about tell us a bit more and then you'd, I, I remember saying oh, I haven't really got any more to tell you because it's literally only just come into my head but then that sense of acknowledgement that I was offered by that group of the idea that it wasn't entirely random that also they didn't mind having it inserted into the day for a few minutes but that also they were genuinely offering to help they were saying we like that idea and we think we might be able to help you with it when it's when when it's come a bit more to fruition so that was the moment that was the moment it was in February um, mid mid February this year where I first used the word I think we need collective ed fellows and I was inspired by my colleagues to basically make it happen and in April of that year we gave our first confirmed 17 collective ed fellows 
their status. And we've gone on each month, there's some new fellows. Everybody who's a fellow has already contributed something to Collective Ed, so a working paper, or they've contributed to one of our hub events or a national event. So they're already, if you like, interested, they've already made a contribution. And one of the things Collective Ed is trying to do is build up the knowledge base from practice and from research around coaching and mentoring. So they've contributed to that knowledge base already. But by applying to be fellows, they're also indicating a real commitment to the work of developing an understanding in practice or through research of coaching, mentoring, professional learning, and, and a willingness to engage in a network and to support each other within that network. So we are we have this amazing network of fellows. It's not vast. It's, it's about probably 70 at the moment. It's international, which is absolutely splendid. It's cross-sectoral. So we have fellows who are you know, teachers, mentors, leaders in schools. We have some from FE, from primary, from secondary, from early years. We have fellows from HE. We have fellows who work in consultancy. We have governors. It's a genuine community of education thinkers and practitioners but we don't work in any silos and it's a community which is evolving all the time it's growing and the level of support that they're showing for us and for each other which is more important and for the work that they collectively can do is phenomenal and it's just the it's the thing I'm most proud of from this year. And there's a little bit of me that thinks it might not even have happened were it not for the pandemic. Yes. Because it was something I could turn my attention to in March, having had that conversation in February, when everything else was floating out of reach. And there was a conversation with Rachel Bostwick, with my colleague, where we said, right, what can we grab hold of? What will we do? when we don't know what the next few months is gonna look like. And I said, I think what, what I'll do first is I'll dedicate some time to thinking about the fellowship. So I, I'm not sure it would have happened because I, I am known for having a lot more ideas than I can follow through. Yes. It could easily have been one of them. But it didn't, it, it stuck and it's made something amazing. Uh, yeah, it's, it's something I'm phenomenally proud of. And I don't want to privilege the fellows above anybody else who's in our network or who contributes, but as a group, I am so thrilled that they found each other. <laughs> and I can see, I, and I always say to them, you, this is about you working in a network that doesn't need me. So every now and again, I see stuff on Twitter, on social media, or they're emailing, or they're, and, and stuff's happening between them that I have no knowledge or control over and thank goodness for that I can't manage all of that that's not my job but these are these are these are people taking collective responsibility and and developing you know collaborative autonomy if that's such a thing mm. because we've allowed them to find each other and the so you were the, the perfect catalyst I hope so <laughs> I do yeah, I think there's a lot of things. I, I don't tend to call myself a leader, even though I've had leadership roles. I don't tend to see myself as a, a manager of people, even though I've probably on occasion been in that role. Luckily, I've always had such wonderful colleagues or nearly always had such wonderful colleagues that it's not been a chore to work with and for them. But I think as a leader, what I'm probably best at is brokering ideas into practice and finding people who I think will work well together, spotting talent, noticing where people's skills lie, and just sometimes just gently pointing them in directions. Um, that, 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 that's, 
a beautiful definition of leadership. You know, the brokering and the, cat the catalyzing of ideas and just making things happen, which wouldn't have happened. It just would, this wouldn't exist mm. had you not had, had the idea, had the courage to speak about an idea you've just had, you know, a few minutes before in a meeting. And then pandemic gave you that space to make the idea come into fruition. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, and I, I think what it also illustrates is you don't always need a kind of an away day with a strategy agenda, although those can be very helpful. If I'm fair, collective ed wouldn't exist without a professorial away day, which had on its agenda, as placed there by our, our leader, our dean, Damien Page, new research centres. And if he hadn't decided that with new professors, we needed re new research centers and gathered together on that day and basically said, it is your responsibility to work out what you want to do, then we wouldn't have collective ed. So we, we had collective ed as a result of that strategy day, but a lot of the rest of collective ed is very much more emergent. Boris might call it, Boris Johnson might call it, it's a whack-a-mole, like things pop up. <laughs> I absolutely don't think it's whack-a-mole at all. <laughs> whack-a-mole. Oh, I'll give him whack-a-mole. It's not, it's not random, it's emergent. It's emergent, absolutely. Fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. If people want to engage with you, engage with your content, see your work, where can they find you online? Okay, so I am, I'm on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Dr. R. Lofthouse. I decided to change it when I got my doctorate. Okay. I haven't changed it as a professor because I can't be bothered, but <laughs> it's Dr. R. Lofthouse. And I'm, we're also on Twitter as Collective Ed, which has only got one E. Collective, so it's collective Ed. Collective Ed. One. It has a number one after it. I don't know why, but it has. And um, if you Google Leeds Collective Ed, you will find our website via the Leeds University website. Fantastic. And, papers and you'll just, yeah, and no, no piece of social media or website is perfect. It doesn't represent us in full, but it's a way to connect. It's a way to connect. And that's what, that's what, that's what leaders need to do, connect with each other. Professor Rachel Lofthouse, it's been a pleasure. I have got images in my head that were not there before. <laughs> of women in Birmingham with files in their head, embryonic ideas giving birth to such great initiatives and things that are changing people's lives. Thank you once again for being part of the podcast. Well, you're very welcome. It's a pleasure. You have been listening to Courageous Leadership, the podcast, with me, your host, Diana Rezaghi, the author of the book, Courageous Leadership, available on Amazon now. You can reach me on LinkedIn, Twitter, or via the website courageousleadership.co.uk. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Until then, goodbye.